Hello and welcome back to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast. I'm Ashley Hasty, a book blogger at hastybooklist.com, a college fashion and marketing instructor, an aspiring author working on a historical fiction manuscript, and as of last season, I am the new co-host of this podcast with Lainey Cameron. I am so excited about our lineup of authors this season. Let's jump right in. In this episode, Erin Lidekin and I chat about her latest novel, The Memory Keeper of Kiev, a book Kate Quinn, author of The Diamond Eye, described as a powerfully moving debut. Ukraine's tragic history painfully echoes its current crisis, and on every page, the Ukrainian spirit shines out unbowed, unbent, and unbroken. Well, Erin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to start talking about your debut novel, The Memory Keeper of Kiev. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So for those listeners who haven't yet read the book or heard of the book, can you tell them what The Memory Keeper of Kiev is about? Sure. It is a story about a young woman named Katya who is living in a small village outside of Kiev in Ukraine, Soviet-occupied Ukraine. And at that time, uh, she's pretty happy, has a good, decent life. She's in love with a boy next door. She's a teenager. But then pretty quickly, things turn bad when Stalin's activists come into the village and try to collectivize all the farmers. So they want to make everything state-owned and take away the Ukrainians' land and farms and implements and livestock. The Ukrainians were not having it. You know, as we're seeing today, they're a pretty independent people. So they fought back. And in order to stamp out that resistance, Stalin implemented a man-made famine the Holodomor, which killed roughly 4 million Ukrainians from 1932 to 1933. So this is the journey of her going through that, the choices she makes to survive, the horrible things she sees, and how she never talks about it again for decades because it was just so painful. And the other part of the story is her granddaughter, Cassie, who has just lost her husband in a horrible car accident that her five-year-old daughter was also in. Her daughter hasn't spoken since the car accident a year ago. And so she's really struggling to move on with her life. And they come together and end up living together to help each other. And it's their journey as they both face that grief and try to heal. And Cassie learns the story of her grandmother that she never knew. She had no idea what she suffered through. And so it's this discovery of family and healing all at the same time. This is your debut novel of it, as I mentioned. You have a degree in history, and I read that you have a passion for research. So yes. tell us a bit about your career path that led you to becoming an author. Well, it's something I've always wanted to do, but it was one of those things that I was like, oh, it's never going to happen. Like, you know, it's, it's a really hard thing to break into. So I, I dabbled with it forever. I started writing this novel years ago, and then I would shelve it and come back to it and shelve it again and think, oh, you know, I, you know, you're busy. I, I had kids, I had work, I had, you know, life. And so um, when it finally did happen that I signed an agent a couple of years ago, that was the moment where I'm like, okay, like maybe this can really happen. Maybe all this research, all this writing can get me there. And so it was, it was kind of a surprise. Like I was at a point in my career where I thought I'm going to query one more agent. And if this doesn't happen, I'm shelving it for good. Like <laughs> this is it. And that agent was like, send me, send me the fold. Let's see it. And so it kind of went from there. It's just been a, a very long road to get here. And why this particular story? What was the initial spark of inspiration that led to this novel being written? So my great grandmother and my grandfather are from Ukraine. Uh, my grandfather was born there. They immigrated out. Uh, they came to America after World War II and they fled Ukraine during World War II. So I grew up 
with her. She lived with us. And I grew up hearing all kinds of stories about life in Ukraine and the things they went through during the war. So I always wanted to write something about that, about my family's story. And so as I got older um, with the history degree and research, loving research, I started delving into Ukrainian history to try and place those family stories into the broader narrative of what actually happened in Ukraine then. The further back I went, the more I found out about the Holodomor and how intentional it was. You know, I knew there was a famine, but I didn't realize the full depth of what Stalin went through to specifically target Ukrainians. And as I read about that cover up that he did to hide it from the world, I was just horrified at how how terrible it was. And I really thought I, I need to start here. I want to tell a story about this tragedy and try and shed a little bit of light on it for people who didn't know. So it's not my family story. It is Ukraine's story. And I, I really wanted to bring that to light. But book two, I will come back to uh, World War II and kind of implement more of those family stories that I actually heard growing up. Oh, well, I always like a little teaser for what's yeah. coming next. <laughs> next year. What is it like publishing a book that you've been writing and researching for years about Ukraine in the midst of Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Uh, the invasion was February. My book came out in May. So as I'm watching this happen, I'm just thinking, we have to remember these things, talking to your grandparents, learning those stories, because when we don't know these things, they repeat. And then people don't realize the depth of this history between Russia and Ukraine did not start in 2014 with Crimea. And it did not start at the fall of the Soviet Union. It goes back generations that they've been fighting for their freedom and their autonomy. And in Russia, in various forms of government, is trying to stamp them out. It was really hard for my book to come out at that time, but I'm so grateful my publisher wanted to donate a share of proceeds to charities helping Ukraine. So that really made me feel better. And that I'm not only are we trying to shed light on a forgotten piece of history, but we're helping in some way, some little way, we're going to be able to give back to Ukraine. And it's been really neat to see a lot of my foreign publishers are following suit and donating a share of each sale to Ukrainian charities. Since you specifically mentioned your passion for research on your website, I have to ask, what was your research process like? Were you able to travel or did you develop favorite resources over time? Yeah, there's definitely some resources I went back to a lot. Um, regarding the travel, I had three trips scheduled to Ukraine and all were sidelined. The first two were because of COVID. That second one we had scheduled, I was going to go meet my cousins who still live there and, you know, go to see the village where my grandfather was born. They hadn't had the vaccine there yet because it's pretty rural. So we stopped that one. The third trip, the Russian invasion. So I, I'm going to go there someday. I swear I'm going to get there someday. I can't wait to go. But this research for this book had to be done you know, here in the States for the most part. Luckily, there is a wealth of online archives of firsthand primary resources, people talking about their experiences, what their families went through, what their parents went through. That was hugely valuable. There's some museums in Kiev where you can do an online virtual tour walking through the museum. So I would walk through it on my computer and then have my phone with Google Translate in my other hand so I can read the different placards they have up next to the exhibits because I'm learning Ukrainian, but I am not fluent in it by any means. So that was really neat to be able to kind of like walk through and see those things. Uh, there's some online sources. Ukrainian Research Institute at Harvard did an amazing study in 2018 that really dove into the, it's probably the most in-depth analysis of the death lot, like the total deaths that occurred during the Holodomor. And they really, they have these interactive maps where you can zoom into different areas and see, you can even see like the, the monuments that people have erected to the victims or how many people were lost in this village and how many people were lost in that village. So that was amazingly helpful, but it's, it's only as thorough as they can be because the records are so hard to find because it was 
covered up, like Stalin eliminated the 1937 census because it showed such a loss of life. So there were so many measures taken that it's hard to really know what the truth death toll was. But with those resources, I was able to get a lot, a um, couple, obviously nonfiction books. I love, I have a lot of books and I always, always have markers in them for the different things I find, the little post-its I use. So it's a process. I can get stuck researching for a long time. I have to like kind of cut myself off. It is my favorite part of the writing process too. Yeah. Searching, I could research forever and ever and never actually write a word on it. Yeah, it's a dangerous, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to walk away from it. It's so interesting. Was there a piece of research, some fact or, or story or anecdote that you stumbled upon that you wanted to include in the novel, but it didn't fit the story for one reason or another? I don't know that there was anything like that. There was a lot of really hard and one point my editor and agent were like, look, you have to, it was kind of walking that fine line of not including the true tragedy of it. I struggled with that. I struggled with how much to include because you want your book to be accessible to people and you want people to want to read it and not just close it because it's too sad, but you don't want to downplay what happened because it was horrific. And that's just the fact. I think that is a fine line and a struggle a lot of historical fiction authors face is that they want, like you said, to convey the depth of the situation, but also not turn people off so that they don't ever read the book. Exactly. Yeah. Or finish the book if they start it. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice do you have for authors or perhaps those like me who do not have yet have an agent or publishing contract? What would you advise them to do? Well, I would say persevere because this journey took me well over 10 years. Don't give up, but also don't stop learning. Every time you write a new draft or you change it or edit it, use those writing craft books and read them and try and, and bring some of that back to your draft as you go back through and re-edit it and connect with other writers. There's just so much information out there now, so many classes and workshops and people who are willing to talk to you. A lot of it's free or you can get the books through your library and you can really elevate your craft through that and give yourself hopefully a better shot of finding those connections to get you forward. You mentioned earlier that you're like, just one more agent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that advice to just persevere is really relevant for all of the writers who have struggled in that early phase of getting your book published. Yeah. When I was preparing for this interview, I was going through your social media and I noticed that you had several book recommendations. So I'm curious, what are you reading right now? And what would you recommend or what books would you recommend that we not miss? Um, I just finished an arc of The Witch of Tin Mountain by Paulette Kennedy, and it was fabulous. I think it's just coming out in a couple months now, but it is just like the right mix of folklore and history and generational stories and strong women. Loved it. Highly recommend it. So keep a lookout for that one. That would be my most recent recommendation. And I've been kind of on a... Um, rom-com kick and i don't know if i think it's almost like a palate cleanser for me after like heavy heavy research yeah. that i will just escape to my rom-com so i've been working through um some christina lawrence and ali hazelwood's new one is on my kindle waiting for me after i finish up this next round of edits that's so funny i wonder if that's a a common occurrence for historical fiction writers is that they just need that rom-com palate cleanser to get them out of the depth something that's nice and approachable and has a very happy ending. <laughs> yes, it, it is nice. And I still love a good historical fiction. Don't get me wrong. I still read those quite a bit. But yeah, sometimes it's nice to just do something totally different. Yes. I want to share how people can find you. You mind sharing your website and where you hang out on social media? 
Sure. I am at erinlidikin.com. That's my handle for Instagram and Twitter as well. And then Facebook is author Erin Lidikin. I am really trying to up my social media game, but it is not my strong suit. I am a stereotypical, reclusive, antisocial writer, but I am trying. So yeah, I love when readers reach out to me though. So feel free to come. I have a contact for my website or reach out via social media. I always love to talk. And before we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered yet? No, I don't think so. I think that's, you've covered everything really well. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you today. You know, we have one other thing in common. It's a St. Louis connection. I read that you live outside of St. Louis. I do, yeah, on the Illinois side. Mm-hmm. Well, my parents live outside of St. Louis too in St. Charles. So oh. I saw that we had that um, that connection. So I wanted to do a call out to St. Louis as well. Yeah, wonderful. So I hope that that means that we'll be able to meet in person one of these days. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, let me know. Well, thanks again. For links to the books mentioned in this episode, the author's social media, and more, visit bestofwomensfiction.com. You can also see the video version of the same episode. I'd love it if you'd follow me, Ashley Hasty, on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the podcast right here, and if you enjoy it, please share with your friends.